0: Welcome to the Paul Gunn podcast. Paul is an American pastor and chaplain who seeks to teach the Bible in an easy to understand and inspirational way to people of all ages. He believes the truths found in the scriptures have the power to change lives. Paul's church has a diverse mix of nationalities and ethnicities where the scriptures are taught in seven languages. When he's not serving his church, he's serving the military as a chaplain. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoy this edition of the Paul Gun Podcast. The title of my message today is Identity, and I will be preaching from Nehemiah chapter 9. If you'll turn there in your Bibles, I've got several things to discuss with you this morning and share with you through this sermon. And so before I begin, as usual, uh, every Sunday I've wanted to recap what we've learned. The walls of Jerusalem were still in ruins and had been in ruins for hundreds of years. And when Nehemiah, uh, a Jewish man, had learned about this, he was born outside of Jerusalem, but when he learned that the walls of Jerusalem were still uh, in ruins, he prayed for God's favor and he committed himself to the rebuilding of the walls. So at his uh, age, he felt like God was calling him to be a construction missionary to go back to Jerusalem so he asked the king that he worked for for permission to leave the king granted his leave request also gave him resources Nehemiah traveled to Jerusalem he examined the ruined walls and he rallied the people delegated the work the people got behind him and they decided to rebuild these walls and they did it in just a few months and despite enemies from within and without The wall was completed in record time. And Nehemiah appointed people to be in charge. He set up rules for guarding the city, and he conducted a census to to determine resources and manpower. He was a very wise leader. Nehemiah and the prophet Ezra gathered the people to celebrate the new year, to recommit themselves to God's work and to worship. So now, in Nehemiah 9, we are more than halfway through the book of Nehemiah. I hope that it's come alive to you. I hope you've learned things that you did not know before from the book of Nehemiah. I certainly have. The first half of the book concentrated on the work of rebuilding the wall, and the second half of the book concentrates on rebuilding a people dedicated to the Lord and living in obedience to him. And in the beginning of chapter 9, the people once again gathered in worship. Their New Year's festivities were over. The Feast of Booths, one of several feasts and celebrations that the Jewish people had, uh, was had ended. Nehemiah and the other spiritual leaders know how easy it is for people to, to forget revival commitments when they return to ordinary life. So They called the people together to remind them of who God is and to remind the people of what God had done for them and what their response should be to God's faithfulness. So in today's message, we're going to answer two questions in terms of identity. The first question is, who is God? The second question is, who are we? Now, you may already have the answers to those questions. I I use this term called super saints. You may have grown up in in church and, and, and Sunday school and vacation Bible school and sunbeams and RAs and GAs and all those things. You may have been to lots of youth camps, and you may know the answers to these questions. Who is God? Who are we? But let me tell you, not everybody knows those answers. And even those who may know the answers can learn something new. The first question that I want to answer this morning from the scripture, Nehemiah chapter 9, is this. Who is God? This gathering of God's people was not uh, celebratory. They, they weren't gathering now to celebrate as they had recently. In the first few chapters, uh, verses of chapter 9, the author tells us that they were fasting. They wore sackcloth, and, which is an itchy Uh, clothing. They they put ashes on their heads, and these were signs of grief. This was a serious time of reflection, repentance, and they came before God with humility and repentance. The Levites opened the book of the law, and they began to preach and teach God's word. Chapter 9 is largely a transcript of, of this sermon, And we'll only read portions of it, but I encourage you to go home and read the rest of chapter 9. And as you do, look for all the ways it answers our first question, who is God? Now because of time, I will only hit the high points here, but there are many more attributes of God outlined in this chapter. I think there are like 27 attributes of God. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. The scripture says, You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. The original Word used here for the Lord, as you've heard many times, is Yahweh. And Yahweh is the, the proper name for the God of Israel. And Yahweh indicates the eternal life giver God. And God, God, as you know, He He had no beginning and He has no end. God was never created, God has always existed. And this it's outside of our understanding. In our world of understanding, which is limited, everything has a beginning. Everything has an ending. However, we are limited to human understanding and outside of our understanding is, is this God that we serve, that, that is gracious to us. It's a God who was never created. He always, he's always existed. He is, he is eternal But every living being, every level of meaning, everything comes from Him. And the modern-day usage of the term Lord gives us another type of meaning. As the eternal life giver, God is the supreme authority. He is the master controller. He is the one who has all power. So the first answer to the question... Who is God? Is this He is Lord. Another, another translation for English translation, and another meaning of the English word Lord is boss. Boss, God is boss. Nehemiah chapter nine, here verses seven and eight. He is righteous. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you and you made a covenant to him to give his descendants the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Jebusites, and the Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you are Righteous. The word righteous here is, it's a Bible word. It's a churchy type word. It's not a word that we use in common everyday English. When you think of the word righteous outside of the church setting, I think of the righteous brothers. You know, it's about the only time I've ever heard the word righteous used outside. Or someone might be critical of someone. You know, she's just self-righteous. But if we even say that word, it still has a churchy type of context. For most of us, when it comes up in the context of a sermon or in a Bible study, we do not give it a second thought. We don't think anything about it. But have you ever really considered what it means? The the, the Hebrew word here means blameless. It means innocent, just, correct. God is completely without sin or error. So Who is God? Well, he is Lord. Also, he is righteous. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 16 and 17. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked in their rebellion... Uh, and appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. (laughs) But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of uh, Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies." This word stiff-necked is kind of humorous. But you know what stiff-necked means? It means this. I'm not going to listen. Stiff-necked means someone's inflexible. Determined to do things their way. Proud. There are several descriptors in this passage. Forgiving, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger. This is God. And for the, fake, for the sake of this sermon, I'm, I'm lumping these words together forgiveness, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger under the term love. The Bible tells us that love is not just an emotion, love is an action. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us a whole list of ways that we can show love for one another. But it's important to remember that. God is not just loving in terms of the way he acts. God is love. What is the difference between loving and being love? Think of it, think of it this way. Imagine a a world-renowned classic pianist. She has composed and played since she was a child. Music is as much a part of her her personality as her witty sense of humor. The songs that she composes flow from who she is, a musician. (laughs) Loving actions flow from the heart of God because God is love. It's a part and, and parcel to his character. It flows from who he is. Terry Taylor has told me he's learned through the years that, that, that the personalities of pianists come through in their playing. Just as I shared with you about a composer, God's, God's personality, that's kind of a human word to put on God, but it, it comes out through, through his character, through who he, who he is. So, who is God? We learned from Nehemiah chapter 9 that he is Lord. He is righteous. He is is love. You know it only gets better. Nehemiah chapter 9 verses 29 through 31. The scripture says, you warned them. Now this is talking about the rebellious Israelites. You warned them in in order to turn back to your law. They they became arrogant uh, and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances of which you said, the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked, and refused to listen. For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God." He is gracious and merciful. These two words are often used to describe God, but they are two different words. The Hebrew word for gracious uh, means wait for it, gracious. It means gracious. In the Bible, the term is only used of God. If we look at the root word here, grace, we we discover a clearer meaning. Grace is a a gift. It's a blessing or kindness. And in our English dictionaries, uh, gracious means courteous, kind, pleasant. A gracious person is one who gives kindness. The word the word merciful can also be translated as compassionate. So God is kind and compassionate. You see, God doesn't give us what we deserve. All of us, all of us in here, 100% of us deserve hell. We all, we're, all, we're all on the same level playing field there. We all deserve hell. Instead, God offers life through his son, Jesus Christ. So, he is gracious and merciful. So, who is God? He is Lord. He is righteous. He is love. He is gracious and merciful. I mean, can it get much better than that? The leaders gave the Israelites that were listening right there a, a historical and a spiritual lesson. They reminded the people of God's identity and his faithfulness to the nation Israel, but they also recounted their own failures. Unfortunately, we are not that different from them, are we? Before I get into who are we, I want to point out to you the importance of, of reminding yourselves of the ways that God has been faithful to you, the way that God has been merciful and gracious. We have to remind ourselves of that. You know, the biblical, the, the these guys in the Bible did that. The women in the Bible did that. When their prayers are recorded, they're reminding God of what God did for them. Do you think God's forgotten what he did for them? No. They reminded God so they could remind themselves. The next question in the message is, Who are we? Who is God? Who are we? Leviticus chapter 9 verse 36 says that we are slaves to sin. Listen to what the scripture says about the slavery of the the Israelites in Leviticus. It says, but see we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Now the Israelites understood slavery. They were first enslaved by the Egyptians after Joseph moved his family there to escape the family and to benefit from his position in the government. But Joseph died. And the Egyptians forgot all about Joseph. And they enslaved the, the Hebrew people, also known as the Israelites, also known as the Jews. They enslaved the Hebrew people because the Hebrew the population of the people had gotten so big that the Egyptians felt threatened. So they they enslaved them and God rescued the Israelites and brought them into the land that he promised but throughout their history they continued a vicious cycle. They were delayed getting to the promised land because of their rebellion and then at times they would obey and receive God's blessing but uh, in the times of blessing they would grow lax in their commitment to the Lord and they would fall into idolatry and in order to get their attention God would allow them to be overtaken by their enemies and in their slavery to their enemies, they would repent and promise obedience. And then God would rescue them, and this cycle would begin again. Although Nehemiah and these citizens of Jerusalem stood inside the newly reconstructed walls, they were really not free. You see, they were still under King Artaxerxes and the Persian Empire. We're blessed to live in a free country and most of us have no idea. Some of us that are here do have the idea. Some some of us here this morning were born in other countries and you know what it's like to live in bondage or under someone else. So the rest of us that were born here, we don't have any idea what that's like. Yet in terms of humanity, we are all slaves. Listen to this. John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus replied, Verily, truly, I say to you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So, who who are we? We are slaves to sin. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 37. Who are we? We are in great distress because of our sins. The scripture says, its abundant harvest goes to the kings that you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. The people in the past, when they were slaves, everything they worked for went to someone else. And if you remember earlier in the book of Nehemiah, about two weeks ago, I think, maybe three weeks ago, Nehemiah had to address the issues regarding lack of food. And this was in large part due to Taxes that were enforced uh, on the people, and no matter no matter how kind the king had been in allowing Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah to return to help rebuild the city, he was still a foreign king. They still had to pay him. They had a constant debt that was just going to last forever. And because of this, they were in great distress. Even though they had a measure of freedom inside their walls, they're still in, they were still. In great distress. Like the Israelites. We too should be distressed. Because sin is a terrible slave master. In fact the Bible tells us. That the wages of sin. Is death. Who are we? We are slaves to sin. We are distressed. Because of that slavery to sin but we we don't stop there (laughs) the israelites were in a predicament the the more their teachers explained their situation the worse they felt they were grieved by the circumstances of their sin they knew that god was the only way out so what did they do they recommitted their lives to god and chapter 10 outlines how they created a formal document promising to obey God. I guess we could call it a covenant. And all the people agreed to it. And looking at it from this side of history, we know that they did not obey it, at least for very long. This cycle kept repeating, and eventually the Romans sacked and and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple again. But this, this sermon is not about who God is and who the Israelites were. It's a sermon about who God is and who we are. And here's the good news God is Lord, God is righteous, God is love, God is gracious and merciful. And because we are slaves to sin, because we are in distress because of that, God sent his son, Jesus. And I want you to listen closely to the conclusion of today's message. Listen closely. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 17 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is Lord. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus is righteous. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus is love. 1 Peter chapter, I mean, this is good. I mean, are you listed? Wake up now if you're dozing off on me. This is good. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Jesus is gracious and merciful. God knows that we can never be good enough to earn our salvation. We can never learn in perfect obedience. The Israelites could not do it, and neither can we so God sent Jesus and listen praise the Lord because of Jesus we do not have to be slaves to sin forever Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord Christ Jesus Christ before Jesus meaning risen Lord folks listen it's 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 all Jesus and nothing about us. it's, It's me, Jesus, and God. There's no other mediator needed. Listen to me. You don't need me at all as your pastor to get to God. Do you understand that? You go to Jesus. Jesus advocates on our behalf to God. This is the scripture. See, if you needed me to get to God, what a mess you would be in. Because I am a flawed man. I am not righteous. I have my shortcomings. Jesus is righteous. He's full of love. He's full of compassion, grace, and mercy. And when we call out to him, he saves us. A friend of mine recently uh, was engaging with me, and I, I felt like he wanted to argue. I wasn't really sure. He said, do, do you lead people in a sinner's prayer at church? You know, because the Scripture, the scripture doesn't have the traditional sinner's prayer that you, you and I know. And I said, well, you know there is the sinner's prayer in the Scripture where the publicans said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the sinner's prayer <laughs> that I want to lead people through. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's all Jesus and zero anything else. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you understand that your works cannot get you to heaven? Do you understand that that different things you've, you you, you may give everything that you have away that's not going to get you to heaven? It's only Jesus, that's it. That's That's the end of the game right there. It's Jesus. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Aren't you glad that you live on this side of the New Testament? We live on this side of the Bible. We see the whole story right here. The people right here in Nehemiah's day were only getting glimpses of what was going to happen in the future, that there was a Messiah coming someday. They only had... Kind of like shadows or images of what was to come. And we've got it all contained right here in the scripture. And we can look back and read about all of it. we can say, hey, Jesus is just as real today as he was then. You say, well, Jesus hadn't been born right. Well, Jesus was part of the Godhead. Jesus was totally in existence in Nehemiah chapter 9. He just had not entered the earth yet. Well, so let me ask you this question. Are you glad to be saved? (laughs) Do you know where you're going when you die? This gives us hope. It gives us immeasurable hope. And when people, when people who know Jesus die, the scripture says about those of us who are still around, we grieve but not as others who have no hope. We grieve the immediate loss, but the eternal hope is that we will be together again. You've been listening to the Paul Gun Podcast, produced by Marie McKinney Oates, available on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tina Tran. Have a good day, mate.